You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to a new and exciting week here at The Conservative Conscience. This is your trusty host, Daniel Horowitz, whom you can trust to always tell the truth. We are already done with an entire quarter of this year. It's unbelievable. First quarter in the can. Uh, It's like I'm still not even used to writing 2019 on checks. And here we are in April, Monday, April Fool's Day. See, the truth is, for those of you who want to see the country, the republic restored, our traditional values preserved with some modicum of sanity, our economic freedoms, our personal liberties appreciated, while not being bastardized and extended to foreign national invaders. Sovereignty, security, society, system of governance, all the things that matter here. See, for you guys, every day is really April Fool's Day. The Republican Party is one big April Fool's joke perpetrated on us. The conservative movement and conservative media and conservative ink is one big April Fool's joke on all of us. Just as I was starting to record here early in the afternoon, I saw an April Fool's joke, except the only difference is none of this stuff is an April Fool's joke. They're all actually real. That is what is so scary. Mitt Romney will be involved in crafting an Obamacare replacement. He's in preliminary negotiations. Now, (laughs) there's so much embedded in that that I want to unpack that ties into everything we're talking about and what we're going to talk about today. Will the last man who believes in traditional conservative values turn off the lights? Because I can't find who that person is. I can't find who that person is on so-called social cultural issues, for sure. But the truth is, it's just as evident on fiscal issues and on sovereignty, security-related issues as well. It's vintage GOP to have the man who catalyzed Obamacare as the man who will fix Obamacare. That is essentially a summation of the Republican Party ever since I could remember, except it gets more severe as time goes on. Think about it. You look at any committee chairman from Republicans who are in the majority in Congress when they're in the majority. You look at administration officials. You look at some of the judicial picks that we you know, banty about at the very moment and for the very issue for which they are called upon to lead an alternative vision. They are literally not just part of the problem, but often the impetus for the problem. 
Then there's the fact that notice the psychology behind this. They don't care about, they don't have their own vision on healthcare. It's how do we, we replace Obamacare? As you well know, we spent the entire 2017 talking about healthcare. We've written copious articles, did numerous podcasts explaining our vision of what healthcare should look like. We gave a brief summary last week for about 20 minutes or so. There's no ability to even talk about that, no desire to talk about that. It's all about, oh my gosh, we need an alternative to the left. And what's funny is they had no interest in touching Obamacare until now. It's only now that they fear that the courts might so-called strike down Obamacare. Let's put aside for a moment that that's never going to happen. This whole thing's a joke. But they are they they are living in such fear that you know for the next number of months there's going to be this perception that the courts might get rid of Obamacare, whatever that means. And therefore they we got to preserve it. We got to preserve it. That's how perfidious this phony pathetic Republican party is. And then it's also perfidious not just in the sense of how their vision of healthcare is the Democrat vision of healthcare. But also from a judicial standpoint, think about it. The courts are screwing us on marriage, sexuality, culture, election law, borders and sovereignty, immigration law. You name it. There's nothing the courts don't touch. Medicaid work requirements, drilling we're going to talk about. Another case from an Alaska judge over the weekend. Probably roughly several dozen examples of courts saying anything Obama promulgated in his administration, it is permanent and can only be countermanded by an edict of Congress, maybe even not then, but certainly not by Trump. And there is not a single effort, single piece of legislation Introduced, much less committee consideration, much less floor consideration to do anything about the judiciary. But finally, there's this perception that we might actually get a conservative policy outcome from the courts. Again, putting aside our personal views that ideally that shouldn't be the role of the courts even when we like this outcome. But certainly that's, that, that's not their beef with it. But finally, there's one case where we might benefit politically as conservatives from, a, from judicial supremacy. And man, these guys, they're, they're putting the gears into motion prospectively before the, it's even at the Fifth Circuit level to fix any potential court overturning of Obamacare. Something they would not do on anything else. Boy, oh boy, is that an understanding of where we are today as conservatives. What, what it means to be a conservative in 2019. We're going to get back to some of the courts and, and more on this. But I want to start off with something that I usually don't venture into, which is some of the cat fights within conservative organizations and you know times when it gets personal firing of different individuals 
I only do it when I think there's a profound lesson to be told because I don't I don't like a I don't like getting involved in the drama drama B, you know whenever you have individuals that are fired you know there's often as I've told you before when you know people ask me oh you know this person left conservative review or CRTV now it's Blaze Media and you know you think there's something ideological behind it and sometimes there's there's more to the story and. Genuinely, I don't like criticizing other colleagues at the way they run their organizations, you know, without seeing the full information. But I think what we saw over the weekend with Denise McAllister, she's called DC McAllister, I think is extremely revealing. Extremely revealing to what is going on. And I think we must speak out about this. I I need your help here. I need your help. Um so am I crazy? I, am I the one that has changed? Have I become such an extreme right winger? Is that what's happening or what I think is happening and and you know feel free to email me and weigh in. I'm pretty sure I have kept the same beliefs I've always believed in. And when I say always believed in, you know I'm not 85 years old. So we're not talking about beliefs from the 1950s. I'm talking about things, not just when I got into this business, but even when we started Conservative Review in, in, in 2014. Am I the last man to believe in biblical values? I mean, I, I understand, you know, we get it, the secularization, everyone's becoming a leftist. But I thought people that professionally and emphatically consider themselves conservatives, I thought we still believe in biblical values. And I, I, I've, slow, I've slowly come to this realization over the last couple of months. I didn't realize I'm the last man who believes, who doesn't believe in the homosexual agenda. So, I mean – Every conservative now, and, and again, this is not just on this issue. There's one thing if we're just this issue, like, all right, yeah, Daniel, everyone's becoming that way. Times have changed, you know, but we're holding the line on health care and spending and um, the role of government and entitlements, dependency, welfare. But no, every issue, we now use the other side's parlance, policies, premises – and progressivism, which is really liberalism, and we should call it that, leftism, as the baseline from which we craft our own ideas. This is the thesis we've been putting out for quite a long time. And, you know, just like we put it out last week where we have conservatives now using pathetic, undefined, meaningless, gibberish parlance of the left on climate change. We don't even call them out for changing it from global warming. It would totally embarrass them. It's a meaningless term. Global warming was a meaningful term. You're saying definitively that the warm the the the, the globe is inexorably across the board warming and we are the cause of it. Okay? So that's something that over time more and more, you know, there's even the anecdotal evidence that kind of seemed like things were warming in the 90s, went back in a lot of places because, heck, that's what weather and climate is all about. So then they crafted a new term 
and, and which is always, and again, when we get into the courts, you're going to see this, and I've said this before, heads they win, tails they win. The one-directional ratchet, they're so good at that. So the term climate change is great because no matter what happens, it's a, it's a rationale for more socialism. So now we have Congressman Matt Gates promoting climate change legislation. You know, too many of my older colleagues deny it, and we need to this and that. So, the, I mean, this is what it means to be a conservative now. So, anyway, we don't believe in anything anymore. We only want talking points. So, what happened was that recently, I, I'm noticing all conservative conservative media. And first of all, everyone's gay. I mean, I mean, I, and I don't, I, I just, I don't understand it. How all of a sudden everyone could just be everyone's gay. Again, there's a lot of I have a lot of behaviors too, and, and we could codify that as a immutable char- characteristic. I'm an allergy suffering American. I'm an A L G A Q T. Right? So I'm an A. Hey, you can't deny I was born with that. Now I never understood because, like, even the most homosexual hawkish individual, meaning you are so hawkish in your belief. That it's like it's the highest form of man. It's like the greatest thing around, and it's 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 like being born, you know, with green eyes or, or blue eyes or, or brown eyes. It certainly can't be more natural than you know, man and woman uh, attraction, right? That, that that's for sure. I mean, you're not going to tell, tell me it's more. So I mean, you know, look, I mean, it's very hard. You have all this porn and scorn nowadays all over the place. I mean, a man can't control themselves. So I am a porn American. I mean, could I say that? Let's say I'm Bill Clinton. Is Bill Clinton a P? It's an immutable, I mean, what do you want it? He is, someone like Bill Clinton, he can't control himself around women. He is a P American. I mean, you, you might laugh, but why is that any less absurd? I'm sorry, any more absurd than what they're doing with their sexual alphabet soup codifying sexual sexual behaviors and all sorts of behaviors and lifestyle choices and cross-dressing and whatever as an immutable, like, legal, le- literally, like, a legal thing. The courts are using it. I don't understand. Like, you know, how many d- decided to use the Q? What does a Q even mean? And we don't even ask questions. We just, yeah, you know, see, as conservatives, we're more sensitive to the LGQB, uh, TFU, uh, um, needs than the left is. See, see, we're good. And I, I, I know I'm taking a long roundabout route to get to this, but let me further um, just give you a sense of where I'm coming from and why I'm so fired up about this. Some of you might have seen my tweet storm early Sunday morning, which is kind of random for me. But, you know, so, the, so the, there was the story of the king of Brunei saying he's going to you know, give capital punishment to those who engage in homosexuality, and, man, I mean, Ted Cruz tweeted about this thing three times. So, I mean, now we're like, and, you know, people are writing articles, you know, LGBTQ activists. And, and uh, like, I don't know what the term was, re- you know, religious conservatives or whatever it was, should unite to support Trump's crusade against this. I mean, like, really, like, this is what we need to do with our government now? Look, it doesn't need to be said that we are not trying to impose upon anyone, including sinners. And yes, they are sinners. Just like there's heterosexual sinning that we should recognize is a sin. You either believe in the Bible or you don't. 
Certain things are immutable. Certain things don't change. Certain things you could, you know, apply to the time you live in. No. Okay, so we're we're not, you know, any of the other things in Leviticus. Assume, I mean, I'm assuming we're not saying are all all of a sudden okay. So it is, but nonetheless, we're not seeking to do anything. Okay. We're not seeking to do anything. We want to be left alone. We want our j- just stop shoving your stuff on us. Okay, we're, we're not asking anything, much less trying to stone to death people that that do that. Okay. So I, I don't need to sit and like feel all defensive. The king of Brunei. But it's like, yeah, that's the big emergency. Not the fact that Ted Cruz is the freaking senator of Texas, which is being invaded with everything imaginable. No, it's like, I'm a good person. Because we as conservatives now define morality by whatever the media and the left defines morality. We claim to fight them, but we obsess with them, and we have no affirmative values or vision or ideology of our own anymore, biblical, traditional, fiscal, or otherwise. So therefore, we, we are so into proving talking points, so now the whole thing is, is that there's this whole movement of how the conservatives are so good for the LQG, you know, and we you know say, you have to say it properly too. I mean, is anyone like asking the question, Hey, are there any more alphabet uh, par- parts of the alphabet that are being codified? No, I mean, really. I mean, you know the next shoe to drop, speaking of P, and it's already dropping, is pedophilia. Because the dirty little secret, as we've always known, and you see with all these cases, you certainly have heterosexual pedophilia, but it's overwhelmingly saturated with homosexuality. So the problem is once you make homosexuality not just not a sin, not just ama- you know amazing, not just – that we're going to redefine marriage and literally biology as it relates to adoption and, and and the way we put it on the adoption papers is literally as if you gave birth. Anti-science. But we're going to exalt it as like the highest form of man. Well, the next shoe, that, that the next logical conclusion is that, well, what do you want? I mean, I am attracted to this 12-year-old who are you? It's it's like saying it's like it's it's like attacking me because I was born black, huh? Same thing, same thing, right? I mean, we've accepted this. We've all accepted this. So anyway, before I go on, so some of you might have heard Denise McAllister, she was a columnist for Daily Wire and The Federalist. Okay, two prominent considered prominent right of center publications, just like Blaze Media. And she got into a Twitter fight with Yasher Ali. Now, evidently, he's God. I never heard of him before, but, you know, I'm not in this, you know, I kind of try to focus on what's important, so I, I don't know these, um, you know, Twitter Twitteraries, whatever you want to call them. But, um, so DC McAllister was making the case that she was just trying to just, you know, tweet about herself a little bit and say, talk, talk about marriage tips um, that, hey, sometimes you got to give your husband space, and, you know, I give him a beer while he's watching football, and I give him a kiss, and, you know, I don't get in his way, and sometimes you got to, you know, there, there's a way to deal with husbands or whatever. I'm not getting getting involved in that. So anyway, um, so this Yasher Ali guy who's like, I, I, um, I, I don't know the number of um, alphabet soups, but I guess he has the the G, I guess, the gay, I, 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 I guess that's what he has. Um, maybe, maybe he's a B too. I mean, I never know. Like, so you're not attracted to women too? I mean, whatever your personal and 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 the funny thing is, like, 
I don't understand the T contradicts the B because if we have transgenderism, then that means, you know, they all say there's more than two genders, right? I mean, some of these applications and they, they even have a, a third option. So there should be trigenderism too. So I guess that's L, G, B, and then the T would be to the second power. The transgenderism and tri, um, trisexualism, right? I mean, because I could be attracted to any one of the three. So, I mean, I don't know why that hasn't been put there, but I'm sure it will soon. And, you know, um, conservatives will, will, of course, adopt that. But anyway, so he started, like, you know, criticizing what she was saying. And basically, she just said, you know, like, hey, you don't even know the purpose of a man because, you know, you're whatever you don't uh you know she just went on and on you're just you know engaged in homosexuality you don't have a marriage and you know you don't know how to make love to a woman and you know again it was a personal fight there um and and it went back and forth a little bit it's not worth reading it i mean you could google this if you haven't seen it and you could read it you know there's, there's a lot of you know just really personal fighting you know has nothing to do with you know sexuality and who you are and aren't right left people fight a lot on on twitter on other social media and it happens now look you know sometimes you could fire someone for you feel they're being unprofessional even though it's not necessarily you're speaking for the publication but you know it's the same platform that you use to put out your information so may i don't, I don't know other people's policies and things they don't like and you know there's a way of being respectful to people and not being respect i don't know but she was fired from both Daily Wire and The Federalist. Now, I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm speculating too much here by asserting and assuming that if this would have been in another context, not dealing with someone who um, engages in homosexuality, he's also, I guess, an Iranian, maybe an Iranian Catholic, so that's kind of another protection under him, under his belt. So maybe maybe that's also playing a role here. But I, I think it's pretty obvious that um, she was canned because of that, and you know she went on and did that. Eventually, she apologized, but I, I you know I don't think she was reinstated after the apology, and, and and that's that's where we stand. And again, I don't like focusing too much on individual people, individual stories that are no names because you know there's there's things that happen. I want to speak more in general that I don't think um exaggerating here that it seems to me that conservative media is saturated with this now. You're not even allowed to speak out against it. You're not even allowed to believe it's a problem, disagree with the behavior, believe it's sinful. I mean, that's my question. Are, are we going to be allowed to agree that, you know, out of marriage sex is sinful i mean am i am i a bad person for believing that i mean as a conservative not just even with the culture but among the conservative media culture am i even allowed to believe in that anymore i don't know i mean look you know i, I could get canned any day i i don't know um and and you know yeah it's only a matter of time before someone comes after me twitter comes after me and you know bans me or whatever but i, I just don't get it i i don't understand when this happened I mean, I've been so busy on law and policy, and then I just—I I guess I haven't noticed that—that that like, oh wow. I mean, I guess we're all LQGB now. 
I guess this is what we are. So, so my question is this. My question is this. Is there any line in the sand that we could draw to hold the line on any belief we have where we won't keep moving? Okay, so we're for L, we're for G, we're for B, we're for T. I guess we're for Q too because most of them use the Q. Now, I don't know what that means. They say questioning, I've heard. People say que- – so so it, it, you're, you're – meaning you're not sure. You're not – well, I'm questioning too. I mean I question everything the political class does. I mean I'm a Q. But so could we at least like codify – you know like they codified the Bible that we had 24 books of the Old Testament. Obviously there's the New Testament for Christians. But you know that, that it wouldn't be added on – you know that, that – like there's nothing new. So could we – I mean because this is like the Bible. It's like you know this is the new Bible, right? I mean there is nothing greater than than this. I mean it is the most protected um, – I mean you you got to really walk very carefully and dance carefully around it. Now legal immigrants are getting very close but not quite there yet. So I'd like to know is there any point where we could say, all right, look, we agree to this but not, nothing more. Because I promise you within the next few years, you'll have the pedophilia. Another one is is nudity. I mean, why – and this is – there's a lot of signs of this already. You know, a guy will just come into work one day buck naked, okay, buck naked. And, you know, the, the guy – you know, your supervisor or whatever, HR is going to be like, dude, dude you, you can't do this. got to go home. I'll be like, are you – are you a bigot hating me as a person? Do you hate N Americans? L-G-B-F-N, nudity. I'm a nudist American, okay? I'm a nudist American. Take it to court. It's part of Title VII of civil rights, anti-employment discrimination. You have to let the ends into work. You could laugh all you want at it. It is no more absurd than pointing to a guy with a penis and saying she. It is actually less absurd because at least it is accurate. I mean, once again, you're describing a behavior as a character, as a uh, immutable characteristic, as an identity, a behavior as an identity. But, you know, I would say to be fair, it is more accurate than what, they're do- that what they've already done and what conservatives have already agreed to. You know, one of the things I didn't understand is that I was like, okay, so... You feel that we lost the fight over this. Now, there's a lot of profundity to this because you lose fights when you have both political parties and movements agree to something. Yes, it creates consensus and everyone else gets marginalized. It's self-fulfilling. Don't tell me this was inevitable. The culture is changing because that would mean you have to tell me Obamacare, that it became popular, was inevitable. Paid family leave is inevitable. Being weak on crime is inevitable. No, if you push back at the right time, when there's still it makes sense to people, you could stop it. But yeah, if you go and codify and legitimize, and use the power of the right to step on the gas pedal for the left, then yeah, over time it will kind of become a consensus. But I think most people, if they're they, they just put their heads down, they're so scared, no one's standing up. Everyone I know, they work in a certain field. Oh, Daniel, I can't say anything. But like deep down, you know it's true. You know this is garbage. But at least, okay, fine. 
Homosexuality, I get it. It is the most sacred, highest form of men, and we could only all aspire to that. I get it. But we thought that at least we'd be able to put a rope around that, and, you know, that's it. That's the line, and no. But what happened was, within a couple months after Obergefell, with the gay marriage stuff, they seamlessly stuck in this acronym. They created this acronym with T. And we all just, like, use it now. I mean, I don't. But but everyone else, all my colleagues, LGBTQ. I mean, really? That, that was inevitable, that a man's a woman. I don't recognize this movement. I don't understand who we are. I don't get it. I don't get that things that were so clear a few freaking years ago. I'm not talking, I'm not an 85-year-old man. I, I, I can't relate to this. I get it. I, I grew up, I guess, with a little bit more of a religious background than than, than others did. But I, I, I to, to this extent, to this extent, you know, I, I don't seek to stone or punish adulterers. Heterosexual. I, I, again, I'm not talking about homosexuals because that is, look, that is, I mean... That's the high priest of, of our of our era. I mean, my gosh. I, I am not going to touch that. But let, let's just talk about heterosexual promiscuity. I, I just want to know. I need I mean, help me out. I need to know the rules. Will I be fired or something or or fined or thrown in jail for speaking out against, you know, adultery, pedophilia? Well, that's kind of homosexual, but but at least the part that's not. Um you know, premarital uh, sex. And again, you know, it's just harboring the belief and, and culturally, you know, on our social platforms, we're going to disagree with it. Right? I'm saying no one's trying to punish anyone for that. So I'm saying homosexuality is no different. It's no greater, even if you believe that it is, that it is on par, right? It's, it's like, you know, you swing from one side, you swing from the other. It's, it's, it's the same thing, Daniel. You know, I'm a, you know, you might be attracted to your beautiful wife, but I'm attracted to Michael Moore. All right, fine. Okay. But it, it's not greater than this. So, you know, I, I, I th- that's the thing. It's, it's like they're making it seem that somehow conservatives were the ones like being anti-liberty. No, I mean, you could do whatever you want in this country. And I just don't think it's our job to to get involved in other countries. Also, you have to keep in mind strategically, sometimes it's very problematic. We're doing this in certain Muslim countries. And we're doing it like with Sisi in Egypt, for for example. And the stupid thing about it is we have sensitive relationships where we're making a lot of progress for to do good things. And we're going to blow it up over promoting homosexuality when the truth be told – that's not even a menu on the option because, like I tell people, it's either sissy who opposes homosexuality or it's the Muslim Brotherhood who also oppose homosexuality at least as much. So, you know, that's not an option on the menu anyway, and you're just going to screw relationships over this. But that's evidently what we've become. We're obsessed with this. It's just I, I can't recognize things – that everyone would have said five years ago, suddenly it's like a problem. So I want to draw a line in the sand today. <clears throat> Will the last traditional conservative stand up? 
or close out the lights because I want to make sure. I mean, this is growing legs. To be a conservative right now, you must obey the alphabet pyramid. So I want to know. I want to know what else is in it. And that's the funny thing. Conservatives using and agreeing to the language and premise of climate change is the same thing as LGBTQ. We throw out random vacuous terms that have no meaning, even according to their ideology, yet the conservatives just lop it up like candy. Now, I want to get to the homosexual version of crime we, we talked about it on fiscal issues. We're all for Obamacare now. We have no vision on the health care. We're all for government-run health care. We're all for cradle-to-grave socialism with the Cradle Act. Paid family leave. We're all for, I'm not all, but it's getting there, climate change. The only reason it hasn't gotten there quicker is just because there's a, the Coke money in that case kind of benefits us. That's one place where they're, you know, it's going to affect them personally. So the corporate money is still there's still some corporate money that's holding the line, and then you know that's that's the only reason why the the dam hasn't burst like it did on on sane biblical values on other aspects of fiscal sanity and on immigration and crime. But I want to go to crime. But before that, just one other point on this on traditional conservatism and social values. See, there's I had an interesting observation. Why is that with conservatives completely abandoning the field on every aspect of culture and even adopting the left's beliefs? Okay? Why is it that rhetorically Republicans and the phony conservative ink movement appear so strong on life, on the life issue, on abortion. Right? On paper, rhetorically, they're still very strong. I'm going to tell you a point that's been lurking in my cup for a while. And you'll let me know if you disagree with it. It's a depressing thought. I don't believe that that pro-life activism from many of these circles comes from a good place. It doesn't come from their just zealous belief in the Bible, in God's law, in our founding values. No. Because if that were true, we're getting crushed on the sexual licentious agenda and they have nothing to say on that. To me, to me what that tells me, it's all virtue signaling. I'm a good person. I'm a good per I'm 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 simpatico for everyone. So gosh, who doesn't love babies? I love myself babies. That's the only reason why even rhetorically they've held the line on abortion as as a legitimate conservative view in the year 2019, because you're able to kind of parlay that view into the children. I'm a good person. 
based on the litmus test of the media and the, and the cultural standards, not on God's law. Because if they didn't have that aspect, they, it would go the same way of the sexual alphabet soup. Believe me, it would go the same way. And again, the proof's in the pudding because they don't do anything about it. We won't even defund it when we have all three branches. They won't. They, the conservative groups didn't even fight over it when I was the only one doing it. Um, and of course, they will not address judi- judicial supremacy, which is the only way to address that. The linchpin of it all. Okay? So that's where we are, folks. That is the whole enchilada. I don't believe that the anti-abortion activism and most of our movement is coming from a good place. It is all a fundraiser, and it is all... Now, even for fundraiser, they're only going to do something that they could feel that... it's not going to be, I'm not going to get unpleasant accusations lodged at me. I mean, I love myself some babies. I'm just telling you, without that, you know in your heart I'm right on this. You know they would have thrown that under the bus a long time ago. Meaning, again, it's not that we fight for life. We don't fight at all for it. It's completely done with. We are completely done with that issue. That's for sure. I mean, that, that is a, a long, I mean, that ship has sailed long ago. But, but, it's important to remember that when it comes to the sexual licentiousness, and again, I'm not talking about anti-sodomy laws and throwing people in jail. I'm just talking about simply holding the line on rigorously saying, you will not force me with my private property to service that. You will not change our education curriculum. No, you will not make us redefine things. You have to hold the line somewhere. We're not asking anything of you. We're not demanding anything of you. It's a free country. You can do what you want. And just even even beyond that, just to rhetorically hold the line. No. Now, what's my proof that this is more coming from a lack of values, adopting the left's values, the desire for identity talking points that the media makes sacred? Criminals race, sexual identity. It's the issue of crime. Today, the White House has still not announced the shutdown of the border, but you know what they are announcing? Today is the day to celebrate. They are making a celebration of the passage of the First Step Act, the successful passage of jailbreak. And and remember, I'm not the odd man out here. Donald Trump agrees with me. Even after signing it a couple of weeks ago, weeks ago when he announced the the reprogramming of the wall under the emergency declaration at the Rose Garden in February, he said our laws are a joke. We don't lock up the drug traffickers enough, and he said the death penalty would work. Okay, so that that is where. So in case everyone's like, "Oh, Jen, you're, you're against Trump," no, 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 I'm the true Trump position on that. But I remember we went through this saga together last year, and to a large degree, I've been talking about this for five years. How I am the last man standing on conservatives being tough on crime. One of the things I warned you about was. 
the First Step Act was aptly named First Step because it connotes a second step and a third step. And I said, you don't understand. This is not about drugs or even drug laws or, you know, this is about dismantling our entire deterrent voting rights for felons, bail, evidentiary standards, prosecutions, all sentencing, not just drug sentencing, juvenile, everything. It is to basically abolish, basically anarchy. What used to be like the 5% fringe of the Democrat Party is now every single so-called conservative group, except for me, I mean, to tell me if there's other people doing this, because I don't know of it. I'd love to know. And in a matter of a few years, just like you're seeing with the homosexual agenda. So again, don't tell me there's something unique there. Yeah, you know, we kind of lost that. It's self-fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, if you create the premise that, you know, the Democrats say, our incarceration is evil, and Republicans say, incarceration is evil. Yeah, over time, I mean, the American people always understand that there's two sides to a story. I think everyone understands that, that there's right and left, there's Republican, Democrat. We're very much a two-party thing, right? So there's always two sides to a coin. But if you fail to articulate that side and then you tacitly or explicitly agree to the other side, yeah, it does create consensus and it is self-fulfilling over time. And that is why one of my many beliefs that the phony Republican Party and phony conservative movement is a defeat mechanism and is worse than having nothing. Because often if you would have nothing, people would rebel against it. But anyway, here is the Second Step Act. Cory Booker, Ron Johnson, a Republican, Elijah Cummings, Doug Collins, a Republican rhino from Georgia, introduced bipartisan legislation to ban the box bill would give formerly incarcerated individuals a fair chance at federal employment. Fair Chance Act. Tammy Baldwin, Joni Ernst, Sherrod Brown, and Rob Portman, Republican of Ohio, are all original co-sponsors. Ban the box. So now you could have an axe murderer working next to you on a construction site, and uh, you can't you can't disclose that on on a job application. Now, yeah, they're going to start it out with federal workers, but like everything else. It will be, it will eventually become a mandate because they're going to say that you're violating life and liberty and property of these people. It's in the 14th Amendment. I'm, I, I, look, you left, but if I'm a lawyer, I could use what they've already written, the garbage that's already in the court system, to explain to you why this should be in the Constitution and why even private companies, you're, you're denying someone a fair chance. I mean, think about all this anti-employment discrimination. I mean, they, they, they have it written already. Which leads me to my next point. On how the court, there is enough nuclear jurisprudence in the courts related to every important issue that you can appoint however many Republican judges you want it won't matter because there will always be enough Democrats for them to forum shop and have universal injunctions at a lower court level. Trump would need like five terms to flush that out. 
And there aren't enough Republican appointees that are willing to push back the existing bad stuff. So once you agree to judicial supremacism, once you agree to forum shopping, once you agree to the legitimacy of universal injunctions at a lower court level, once you agree to the one directional ratchet of heads we win, tails we win, there's nothing you, we're, we're done. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. That's just what it is. Because you see, we always agree to 90% of the left's premise. We even serve as the cultural Marxist enforcers for the left. We're going to police the right. We don't want these like, you know, extreme right people that, that don't believe in the LQ and uh, climate change and uh, criminal justice reform. No, 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 we don't want that. So also, we're all judicial supremacists. So some of you might have seen over the weekend an Obama judge from Alaska. See, even a place like Alaska ruled that Trump can no longer be president. Basically, said you know, asked Trump to resign and said, you know, even if you don't resign, it doesn't matter because I control you. As I've noted a number of times, several dozen cases, it's not no longer that they're stopping new things Trump wants to do that he has lawful authority to do. But even if he just merely reinstates the policy that was there before Obama made it up out of whole cloth, nope, you can't do it. So a judge ruled, so if you remember, one of the things Obama did is he locked up 98% of the Arctic outer, outer continental shelf for drilling and natural gas permits. Right, so completely helter-skelter, shut it down. Right, for the Department of Commerce, Department of Interior, there's a permitting process pursuant to long-standing statute. Of course, there are ways the president could kind of slow that down, and he kind of did that, but wholesale. Meaning, if Trump would do this on immigration, they'd say, you need to do it case by case. But here, it's like, no, 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 no. He was able to do it. Okay, fine, but he did that. It locked up $27 billion, um, 27 billion barrels of of recoverable oil. And the judge said, no, you can't do it. Here's the money quote. I want you to listen, and I want you to listen carefully to Judge Sharon Gleason. Quote, the wording of President Obama's 2015 and 2016 withdrawals indicate, meaning withdrawals from permits, indicates that he intended them to extend indefinitely and therefore be revocable only by an act of Congress. And she said, she ruled that oh, what Trump did to just merely reinstate what happened before was unlawful and exceeded his authority. And she went on to say that, um, where is this? She went on to say that basically, you know, without an act of Congress, this is permanent. This is totally permanent. So that's where we are. I want you to think about that. She said very clearly that statute only allows you to take away permits. But once a president does that, statute doesn't allow a subsequent president to reinstate them. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. You know I'm right. You know I called the shot. One-way ratchet. Heads we win, tails we win. 
They're literally codifying, and conservatives are like, yes, let's appeal it. Yeah, where are you going to appeal it? You know where Alaska is? Ninth Circuit, because we refuse to even have a vote on breaking up the Ninth Circuit and limiting it to just California and saving states like Alaska and Arizona from their clutches. So you, so they're going to say the same thing. So it takes forever to get it to the Supreme Court. They won't. They barely hear the case. They only hear 60 cases a year. Even the ones they do, often they screw us on because Kavanaugh's a jerk and Roberts is a jerk. And Gorsuch has his quirks and Alito is drifting. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. All this talk about Amy Barrett. Oh, we're going to get another court pick maybe. Maybe, maybe not. But people forget the Supreme Court itself is no more conservative than it was under Scalia before he died when Scalia said the court is more liberal than he's ever seen it. Think about it. We replaced Scalia with Gorsuch. Okay, at best that's even, which I would, I believe it's not, but that's even. Now, you could say we replaced Kavanaugh with, uh, Kennedy with Kavanaugh, but to me there's no evidence that he's necessarily even better than Kavanaugh, than, than Kennedy, and to the extent he might be a little better, Roberts himself on net has gotten worse over the last few years. So it's kind of a wash. It's no better than it was. For all this talk, Trump had two court picks. It's about the same as as it was before. And then, of course, even when they give a good opinion, a lower court, what do we tell the lower courts as conservatives? No matter what you do, no matter where you go, We'll be watching you. Okay, I made up the words there, but you get what I mean from that song. Yeah, I know th- those of you j- j- who are Gen Xers will remember it. But um, we'll be watching you. The district courts, any one of the 670-whatever district judges in the 94 district courts at any point could shut down national policy. They have a veto policy. What are you going to do? Well, the Supreme Court just said the contrary. Well, this is a slightly different case. Let's, Daniel, you can't look. You know, I understand you have a strong argument that that the Supreme Court precedent should, you know, we're right. But you know, you gotta go through the appeals process. You'll have a very strong case on your appeal, Daniel. That's what we believe as conservatives now about the courts. So this will never end. On the same day, the same Judge Gleason shut down a road. They were going to construct a road for the communities of, uh, what is it called? King Cove and Cold Bay in the peninsula of Alaska to connect them with this local all-weather airport. So, you know, they have a lot of uh, natural emergencies there, earthquakes, uh, snow, whatever, avalanches. And this is of vital importance. It's supported by the local communities. It's supported by the state, and it's supported by the relevant federal agencies. But just like with the drilling, a group of environmental third-party groups with no direct stake get standing to sue, and a judge could just veto. And as I've noted throughout the last number of weeks, this is a quintessential example of what I'm talking about. A court could give relief to a plaintiff and say, you plaintiff, you don't have to do something. Right? Really what a court does is it interprets the law. But to the extent a court so-called brushes up against the other branches, meaning not just serves as a steward for the other branches to adjudicate the laws they passed and signed, but what we call judicial review, meaning to say 
this policy of the executive branch or this statute of Congress is unconstitutional, all it means is that for the judicial branch, we could say if someone comes in front of us, I could tell you, you don't have to follow the law because we believe the real law, the Constitution, says otherwise. Let's plug that into the equation, that equation into this case. So that's if, let's say, the opposite. Let's say, you know, I'm a power plant or I'm a, you know, I want to do something. Eco dudes come to me to shut me down. And they say, oh, you know, or the law says, and the court's like, no. I mean, the law might say this, but you have a constitutional right to your property. I believe this law is unconstitutional. You, John Smith, can continue doing A, B, and C on your property or your business. I'm not just doing this as self-serving. Oh, a conservative outcome of a court is good, but not a liberal one. I mean, it has to be you're giving relief to a plaintiff. But... If I do the opposite, like in these cases, I come to third-party groups and say what? I'm not giving, what relief are they seeking? You don't want a drilling permit, so don't ask for one. Oh, no, I don't want them to get drilling permits. I don't want them to have a road. Well, but that's asking for a veto. Now, a judge could say that, that I believe it's, you know, you're not following the law of the Constitution and whatever, and therefore I I want this drilling or... uh, issuance of, of permits or construction of a road to stop. But ultimately, that is different because that is not the judicial power. There, that is sh- at least shared concurrent jurisdiction with other branches of government. They control the permitting process. You can't just veto. That's what I'm saying. A veto doesn't exist in the Constitution. They can't veto policies. So how does that concur with judicial review again like i said because they don't veto it's just an individual plaintiff you could give them a ruling but if the form of relief you want to give to them affects other people and processes and powers of other other departments of government we don't have one branch of government it takes a degree of deference from those branches in order to give that ruling the effect of striking down, but they don't directly have that power. Look, if the Constitution said that they have the power to strike down, so then, yeah, I mean, they would be like, hey, Daniel, you're not listening to a court if you have the other branches. But they don't. That, that's the profundity of what Hamilton talked about in Federalist 78. If they're trying to create a broad political rule, it's not, it's not thus says the Lord, as Abraham Lincoln said. This whole notion that eco-groups that have these speculative, you know, grievances could just overturn something is, is not true. What Congress needs to be doing is going to Section 701 to 706 of the Administrative Procedure Act, and they need to revise 5 U.S.C. 702, which governs the judicial review for agency regulations and they need to raise the threshold for injury in fact for causation for addressability as it relates to third-party groups suing for non-economic or phony economic grievances you just can't do that that is just not legitimate but what are they putting all their political capital in is the nuclear option to more easily 
confirm more judges, which again, most of the vacancies are left by other conservatives. You're not flipping as many seats as you think you are. And even if you are, there are still an unlimited amount of these people. You need to push back. We need Congress to start limiting jurisdiction, limiting standing, limiting, tighten that up. And the executive branch needs to push back. Instead, if you don't do that, and all you do is expend your only political capital on just more confirming more judges, you're raising the specter of the importance and legitimacy of judicial supremacy. Because then it's like, this is what I warned about at the beginning of the administration. I said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to obsess about Supreme Court, even lower court judges, confirm, confirm, appointment, appoint, appointments, appoint better judges. And I said, here are all the reasons why it's not going to help, and we're going to be left with the worst judicial supremacy than even under any other administration. It's going to be worse than ever. But we're going to be worse off politically because we would have had legitimized it. I mean, imagine if – there's one thing if you – if I say, okay, here's the rules of the game. Every time we you know, score a touchdown, it's worth 20 points. When you score a touchdown, it's worth one point. So what you need to do is nip that in the bud. Like, no, this is illegitimate. You need to militate against that. But if you play the game – and you like, I mean, you hustle and you play really hard and then you lose, I, you kind of lose your hand there because you look like a fool. So what they're doing this week, the big news is in the Senate is, so as you all know, they use the nuclear option on the filibuster. So right now it takes only 51 votes instead of 60 votes to invoke cloture, okay? But so so that, that, that that's where we are now. Harry Reid started it with Supreme Court and then Mitch McConnell extended it to lower court nominees. What they're doing now is it still takes, even if you invoke cloture, it takes 30 hours to force a vote, 30 hours of debate. And it's not just any 30 hours, it's 30 hours of open floor time. Now, really what McConnell should be doing is instead of having the Senate meet for two and a half freaking days, they should be in session all seven days most weeks, hold them in over the weekend, and not just grind them down on the clock for judicial nominees and executive nominees, but on policies as well. Invoke the two-speech rule, as we said. Where you could force a talking filibuster, you could force them to hold the vote, and then invoke, meaning it's not just a, oh, I object. So what if you object? You have to hold the floor. Make them do a talking filibuster. And then you could limit them to two speeches per person. But no, we don't do that. We don't pass anything. Nothing. Nothing on sanctuary cities. Nothing on the border. Nothing. So it's all about judicial noms. But we won't even force it on them. So instead what they're doing is they're trying to invoke the nuclear option to overturn the precedent from the parliamentarian on needing 30 hours for post-closure debate for judicial nominees and it will now be limited to um, two hours. I think at least for district judges. Maybe not for circuit judges, but uh, but district judges. And they're all into that. That's their solution. Doesn't speak to a word of what is going on now. Just doesn't. Here's what we need to say. You know, when Stephen Douglas, during the Lincoln-Douglas debates was you know trying to hide behind well what do you want uh, i we can't uh you can't just not have slavery in the territories the court said in dread sky you gotta have it so this was at the first debate the first one in ottawa illinois august 21st 1858 despite the hot summer 
thousands, thousands, like 20,000 people turned out. He said the following. This man, meaning Stephen Douglas, he pointed to him, sticks to a decision which forbids the people of a territory from excluding slavery. And he does so not because he says it's the right in itself. He does not give any opinion on that, but because it has been decided by the court. And being decided by the court, he is, and you are bound, to take it in your political action as law. Not that he judges at all its merits, but because the decision of a court is to him, thus says the Lord, and everyone applauded. He places it on that ground alone, and you will bear in mind that thus committing himself unreservedly to this decision commits him to the next one just as firmly to this. He did not commit himself on account of of the merit or demerit of the decision, but it is a thus says the Lord. The next decision as much as this will be a thus says the Lord. There is nothing that can divert or turn him away from this decision. I said this before, the profundity of what Lincoln was saying. He said, wait a minute, if you take this this logical conclusion, if a court could say A as a political rule, and that is self-executing, universally binding on the country, on all other branches as a political rule, then that means what about the next step? The next step. There's no end to it. And that's where we're at now. We tell not just the Supreme – and, and the, 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 the laughing irony here is that he was talking about the Supreme Court. I mean he wouldn't have – believe that a forum shopped district judge could do this but we are told and nobody in the conservative fake homosexual pro-criminal movement and that's what it is that is what it is will have you believe that anything a district judge says no matter the standing no matter the merits no matter the law no matter the constitution no matter the consequences is the law of the land well if you're an Obama-appointed judge and you look at him, there's like, heck, there's no one's even going to push back against me. Even call me out by name. No one's going to know, ever hear of this freaking whatever. You know, even though we're not governed by uh, FCC regulations, we'll, we'll abide by them here. But the Sharon Gleason, no one will ever hear of her. She's not going to be a pariah in the legal profession. No, she'll be a hero. So I asked the question in my upcoming column, what if a judge ordered Trump to resign and put an injunction on his presidency? Because they're essentially doing that anyway by saying anything Obama does is permanent, even if it's discretionary. So then is that the law? I'd really like to know. Inquiring minds would like to know. But you know what? And we're going to close with this. What Lincoln was referring to with this ratchet, when you agree to one thing, the same rationale, you bind yourself with the next thing. It ties together a whole show. It's not just a legal construct, but in, in the political realm as well. Because once we agree to one absurdity of the left, one breach in our economic system, one breach in our constitution, one breach in our traditional biblical values, What's to stop us from being bound by their next breach and the next breach? Where is the safety net? Where is the floor? And the answer is when you have a phony conservative movement that defines their focus and their principles 
knowingly or unknowingly, by whatever the media and the left say it is, there is nothing. There is no floor. Folks, am I the crazy one? Or, or will the last conservative, the last traditional conservative with any modicum of values, please turn out the lights on this business? Because I don't know why we're in this business if this is all we're going to do. A lot more going on this week. As always, Conservative Review is your one-stop shop. Tune in tomorrow. We will try to have more guests on this week. I know I've been going solo a lot. It's just been been tough uh, scheduling. Send me your comments, concerns, feedback, questions. Daniel, D, I'm sorry, D. Horowitz at pleasemedia.com. Tweet me at Conservative. God bless you all. This has been another episode of the Conservative Conference.